If you are a visitor here with us, we're especially glad that you're here. We hope that you know that you're honored guests, and we would have a request of you this morning if you're here visiting with us. Uh, back in the back, uh, we have some visitor's cards. We would ask you to fill one of those out. Uh, if you're comfortable with going and getting one or raising your hand, we'll have one brought around to you uh, so that you can, in fact, put that in the plate for us. Uh, but either way, if you could fill one of those visitor's cards out for us and give it to one of the elders or one of the leaders here this morning, uh, we would like to have a record of your attendance here with us. The elders uh, have determined that we would start a series of lessons going back to the foundations, to the principles of Christianity, if you will. And that began earlier this year with Brother John, as Brother John preached about the cross, and specifically the cross of Christ. And if you weren't here for that, didn't have an opportunity to listen to that, we actually have a recording of that. I encourage you to listen to that lesson. Last week, Brother Monty got up and talk to us about truth and the truth that is found in the scriptures and the truth that you and I should desperately desire. And this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus. We could be here for a while, but hopefully not. Savannah asked me a question yesterday, and I began to explain it, and she looked me in the eye and said, no, but what does that mean? And I recognize that sometimes uh, we tend to explain all that we know and we want to make sure that the listener knows, knows just how much detail we know. And I hope I don't do that this morning. Lord willing, next Sunday, Brother Nathan will be bringing the gospel lesson. So the purpose of my lesson this morning in talking about Jesus is laying the foundation. And I want to start in laying that foundation in Matthew, the 16th chapter. I don't have this up on the board, uh, but I want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Uh, there's a wonderful scene that is recorded in Scripture there in Matthew, uh, the 16th chapter. And I want you to read there with me. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who is Jesus? If you and I were in a position this morning that I could speak to you personally, that I could look you in the eye and I could say, so who is Jesus? What would you say? You see, that's what Jesus did that day. That wasn't Franklin that was standing there with Peter and with the other disciples looking in their eyes and going, hey, who is Jesus that was the Son of Man. And the Son of Man said, 
Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they replied, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Eliza. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus brought it home. And there in Matthew, the 16th chapter, it's a wonderful thing. He looks at Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? I want you to notice there in Matthew, the 16th chapter, what Peter's response is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus? My prayer, my plea, is that you and I, if we were looking into one another's eyes, that you would say, He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But this is my plea. My plea is that when you say, He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's more than just a set of words that you have learned to repeat. I want those to be the words that your heart and your mind truly under. In John the third chapter, in John the third chapter in verse 16, John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In order to understand Jesus, we must understand a giant concept. A concept we call love. What is love? We could be here a while. I'd encourage you to go and read Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and read those words. But I'd encourage you, moreover, to understand those words. The Bible here says that for God, the creator of the world and all that is therein, so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son 
I want you to imagine that. Imagine that for a moment that you had something. And for you parents, I hope this really strikes a chord. I want you to imagine that right now you took your son and said, I need you to go to Iran and make sure they know that you're American because I love those people. No, I can't imagine what it would be to know or to be in the shoes of someone like Michael and Linda knowing what they, when they put their son on that plane and he's going to go overseas and he's going to fight for this country, what that must be like. And moreover, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in the shoes of someone who says those are people who don't even believe in me those are people who don't even have the same love for me that I have but I love them and I'm going to send my son over there for them but God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's more than Jesus than just love. There's more than Jesus than just being the Son of God. There's something about Jesus that has to do with life and death. And God so loved you and I that he sent his son to make sure that we understood life and death. That we, through him, might be saved. Look at Ephesians, the second chapter. In Ephesians, the second chapter, in verse 19, Paul writing here says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I want you to notice that term there, and I put verse, through verse 22. I stopped there at verse 20, because I want you to focus there on what it says about Jesus Christ. Paul writing says, you and I, through Jesus Christ, have become citizens of a far greater land. A land where his father dwells. And it says that the foundation is built there on things like the apostles and the prophets, the promises and the word of God. But the chief of the corner is Jesus Christ. I want to make sure you understand what Paul 
is saying there when he says that Jesus Christ is the chief of the corner. What he's saying there is that without that corner, there is no foundation. What separates us from any other religion in the world? It's the chief of the corner. What gives us a foundation that we might know our Creator? It's the chief of the corner. So to understand the chief of the corner this morning, I want to talk briefly about his person, his purpose, and his place. Because to understand our Savior, the Christ, the Son of the living God, We've got to understand those three things. As we start with this person, I want you to look at John 1. In John 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does John tell us about the Word? John tells us, that whatever he's talking about or whomever he's talking about there and describing him as the Word, he's been from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that is true, then the Word was there from the beginning. And notice that John says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skipping down to verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is where in our minds we reach a problem. The Bible says that God is a spirit. And sometimes that's hard for us to understand because whatever the spirit is, we can't see it, we can't touch it, we have to learn about it. And it's out there, it's God. You know what the Bible says here in John about Jesus? It says that He was God. He was there in the beginning. He's bigger than the universe. That all things were created through Him and for Him because He was there with God. And yet somehow knowing that, we have to understand this. That God so loved the world. That even though His only begotten Son was there with Him from the beginning, He became flesh just like you and I. That Jesus Christ was born of a woman and He had hands just like our hands. And He had feet just like our feet. That He was the Son of God and yet in Him was a heart just as we have. That His person 
while here upon this earth wasn't some grand majesty, but yet was a humble creature just like you and I. That he had feelings just like you and I. That he had emotions just like you and I. That he was tempted just like you and I. That he had to rest just like you and I. You ever want to see the Savior, Jesus Christ, just like you and I? Think about him going to the garden. Luke records that Jesus the man, in the night that he was betrayed, began to sweat drops of blood. That the man felt the weight of the world so heavily that he prayed to the Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, thine be done. You and I have to understand that Jesus the Christ the Son of the living God, walked as we walked, lived as we lived, had needs like we need. Philippians 2 and verse 6 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What do we know about the person Jesus from the words here of Paul? The Bible says he was made in the likeness of man. That doesn't mean sort of like. That doesn't mean kind of like. That means he was a man just like you and I. And how do we know? We know because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. What happened to Jesus on that cross? Jesus died on that cross. It wasn't pretend. It wasn't something magical. It was what happens when a life is taken. 
Jesus on that cross died. Because Jesus was sent by the Father to give that life. But in order to give that life, he had to be made as a man with flesh and bones and blood, just like you and I. Hebrews, the second chapter, and verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. You don't know about Jesus the man. Jesus the man was made flesh just like you and I. And why does that make him so important as the son of the living God. Because God can't be tempted. God is the creator of the world and can't be tempted. But his only begotten son who was with him from the beginning, who was with God and was God, guess what? He was tempted just like you and I. He knows the pain. He knows the hurt. He knows the things we've been through. Why? Because God sent him in his love to feel that pain for you. To be tempted so that he would understand you. To go through the torment so that he would understand your torment not as one who couldn't be tempted but one who could be tempted just like you and I and in knowing that I want to talk about his purpose <clears throat> you know if I wanted to go into to great detail about his purpose we'd have to start uh, with the story that is recorded of him being 12 years old and uh, going with his parents uh, to Jerusalem. And while he's there in the temple, his parents are headed back home and they realize that Jesus hasn't joined them and he's a 12-year-old. And they come back and they ask him why he would do this to them. What's he doing? And they say, and, and Jesus replies, what? Do you not wish that I would be about my father's business? So we know that his purpose, his intention here upon the earth was to do the will of the Father. But I want to make it simpler than that. You see, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. And in Romans, the third chapter, in verse 23, Paul writes this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who's contained in that verse? Me. And all of you. And everybody else who ever was, save for one. For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that word down, propitiation. It's a word we never use unless we read one of these three verses that it's contained in, in the Scriptures. But I want you to remember after this day that word propitiation because it's actually got a very important meaning. So I don't want to read that again. It says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. And notice, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Paul records here that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's that tell you about you and I? You and I have sinned. And if we want to take that a step further, not only have we sinned, but the Bible says we've come short of the glory of God. You know, sometimes I think as, as preachers, it can be easy for us to uh, to say words that don't come out like we mean them to. And when someone is sitting out there listening, it appears as though we're saying, hey, be holy like us. You see, I am as a preacher, I am holy and you need to be more like me. But Romans 3.23 says something very different. It says this. It says no matter who is standing up here speaking, guess what? We're all in the same big boat. And that big boat is a boat of sin because every one of us have sinned and done what? Come short of the glory of God. Guess what that means? I'm not good enough. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness. You know what that term, propitiation, means? I'd love for you to go back and look that up. Test me on this. Make sure that, that I'm telling you the truth here. Uh, the term there means victim. The term there actually means the mercy seat of the ark. You know what his purpose was? His purpose was to be a sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to have his blood shed on the mercy seat of God. Why? For the remission of your sin. And my sins. You know what he sent his son? You remember the story of David? Uh, one of the sad stories is, is a king. Who God says was a man after God's own heart. And the man after God's own heart saw a woman. Her name was Bathsheba. But she was married. And you remember what David did? Because he had all those inner feelings for Bathsheba. 
It says that he sent her husband to the front. Why? Because he knew in the front line of the battle there was one guarantee, and that was that her husband would lose his life. You know what the purpose of Christ was? God loved you so much that he took his only begotten son and he said, go to the front line of the battle because there's no sacrifice good enough for sin and my son is the only perfect lamb and his blood must be shed for the sins of man. 1 Timothy 2, in Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Who did he give his life for? You know who he gave his life for? He gave his life for general... Soleimani. For those of you who don't know what that name is, he gave his life for Adolf Hitler. He gave his life for Timothy McVeigh. He gave his life for Franklin McDonough. Why would I include myself with the names of what we look at as horrible, horrible men? Because Jesus Christ came and gave his life a ransom for all men. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world. That he sent his son. Even with a deep hatred of sin that his son would take on sin and be a sacrifice on the altar of the cross for you and I. And he did it for every single person. There is none good enough but all are made good enough through his sacrifice and what is his place hebrews the first chapter and verse one says it like this god who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is Jesus' place right now? Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. And he described it as his father's house where there are many mansions. But you know it's much more than that. Because the Bible records that this Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was sent as a sacrifice for you, sits at the right hand of the Father. In Acts, the fourth chapter, in verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. What does that tell you about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? Can you imagine that your purpose in life is to die? That your purpose in fulfilling the old law is to die for the old law. That your purpose in life as the Son of the living God who was from the beginning, who was with God, and yet felt it not robbery to be equal with God. That His purpose in life was to die for those who had come short of the glory of God, that they might have what? Salvation, eternal life, an adoption into the family of God that you and I could become sons and daughters of the living God. So, Who is Jesus? If you're not a child of God this morning, you can become a child of God right here today. You can put on Christ this morning to be obedient to his will obedient to the gospel having your sins purged that word purged means cleaned washed white as snow they'll be gone and you'll leave here a new creature in Christ Jesus if you are a child of God and there's something that we can pray with you or for you we want to do that this morning 
We'd ask you to please come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.